Attention passengers, today on Strangers on a Podcast, we have a 2002 movie that's a combination of Frankenstein and Fatal Attraction. It contains so many pretty parts, no pretty holes. Join us, won't you? Hello, and welcome to the movie car here at Strangers on a Podcast. I'm the conductor, and with me is... I'm Grimweed. Hello, Grimweed. Hello. Uh, we're called Strangers on a Podcast because we're two guys who don't know each other, and we're talking about movies to see how they bring people together. Are, are we going to drive each other nuts? Are we going to curse and scream one another out? Are we going to stay on topic? That probably won't happen. Well, it might happen. It hasn't yet. Today, we are talking about the one and only... May. From 2002 by Lucky McGee. Yeah, before we get started with that, I just want to say life has kind of thrown us a curveball this time. We can't record at the time of day we normally do. So there could be a lot of sounds that I'm unable to get out during editing. So if you hear background noises or whatever, it, it's our neighbors. So just forgive us on that one. By the way, if you hear any clicks and pops on the on the podcast people out there, um, yeah, we're not professionals and we, we aren't perfect at uh, speaking over the microphone yet. We'll that, get there. And, you know, until you really help us out with the, the likes and the, the stars and the comments and and tell everyone else about us, we're dealing with not the greatest equipment. Yeah, we uh, we bought this with uh, what we had. And uh, well, in my case was scrounge up and dig pennies out of couches and that and kind in of my thing. Case was, and in my case was uh, using credit cards that I'll pay off. You know. So not a whole not a whole lot better, except for mine's paid for. Either way, though, here we are with May. What do you think of May, Grimweed? Is it is it one of your favorite movies? May is hard for me to really describe. Why is it hard where it falls on my favorite movie list? It it has its own category for me. It's not a horror movie. It's not uh. It's not a drama. It's not a comedy. It's it is Angela Bettis giving a master class on how to portray mental breakdown, and she does very well. Yes, it it's, has developed a passionate cult following, though, I think, since it came out in 2002. Uh, Unfortunately, all I was able to find as far as purchase in the U.S. is DVD, though. I haven't found anything else. I was trying to upgrade my copy of it and couldn't find DVD anything. Everything that was like Blu-ray or whatever is all a different region and won't play here. So it's more popular overseas. Apparently. Well, that says something. We Americans have bad taste in movies, people. Sad. I just don't. I just don't know. Sometimes. Well, even doing a search on YouTube, trying to find commentaries or reactions or anything about it, I can find little clips. I can find a few people just talking about the movie, but there's not a whole lot there. I can't really find much. It's a hidden gem. Very much one so. I might say. And a gem it is, though. It. Uh... When did you first learn about it? Uh, I was watching HBO late one night on my parents' cable, and I came across this bizarre film that I just immediately kind of fell in love with. I'd never seen anything like it, and I watched it from uh, around the time May meets Adam in the laundromat to the end of the movie, and uh, it just made it an incredible impression on me just with just how strange it is. And That's an interesting time to come into it because there's some kind of key parts that have happened already by then. 
There it, were. I rented this movie from Blockbuster to watch the entire thing with a friend. So did I. And then uh, when that Blockbuster went out of business, I bought their DVD of May, which and it has sat on it sat on my shelf for many years until I wore out the DVD. Yeah, I first found out about it when going through special features on a rented copy of House of a Thousand Corpses. It was one of the trailers on that DVD. And as soon as I saw that, I knew I had to go and find the movie. Okay, yours is cooler than mine. I don't know how you that's rented House of a Thousand Corpses and there was a trailer for May. I don't think Lion did Lionsgate put May out? Um, I believe so. Well, first of all, May was directed by Lucky McKee in two thousand two and it had a it was a small movie with a low budget. Same director uh, but, that did All Cheerleaders Die. And Death Sember and uh The Woman, uh, which was a sequel to uh The Offspring, starring uh Pollyanna McIntosh as the woman, uh, which also featured Angela Bettis. So Angela Bettis and Lucky McKee have a kind of symbiotic film relationship, I think. They um, do work well together. They do work well together. Uh, I think Lucky McKee just sees knows talent when he sees it, and he keeps writing parts for her. And thank gosh he does, because I, I, I love me getting to see uh, Angela Bettis' performance. The performance in May is phenomenal i've seen other things she's done where it's like yeah i know she can act and she didn't do bad but if i really want to see her just knock it out of the park i always go right back to may it was a small production uh it was shot in la as is pretty evident from watching it also starring in the movie besides angel bettis knocking it out of the park we get jeremy sisto uh Clueless, I, I can, I... um there was something where he played jesus he was in six feet under on hbo uh and he was uh I think he was even on Law and Order, or one of the Law and Orders. I've lost track of how many things I've seen him in. He, he's yeah, been he's, in almost as many things as Anna Ferris has been in, who is also in this movie. Anna Ferris plays Polly, uh, May's co-worker, uh, the ditzy receptionist at the animal hospital. Anna Ferris is the neck. The neck, yes. Yep. Uh, Mr. Jeremy Sisto plays Adam, Mr. Is, Perfect Hands. Yes, he is and, the hands. Uh, and uh, Nicole... Hiltz, who plays Ambrosia. And she is the legs. She is the legs. Oh, also there's James Duvall. He's in it, but not much. He's not in it much. There was also a cameo from the director, Lucky McKee. A couple of them. I, I just know the one where May is standing in an elevator going up to her apartment. Yeah, and, and remember there's... later when she's coming out of the apartment and the elevator, or if she's going back to her apartment, and the elevator doors open, and there he is again with that same woman. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, uh, another person who starred in the movie who I think is great, and I like seeing her in everything I see her in. I, I think she's famous most for, uh, that really impressed me, was the movie Brick, which was directed by Ryan Johnson, who was the editor on this picture. That that's the same Ryan Johnson who went on to do uh, the Last Jedi and Looper, so that guy. Uh, anyway, uh, the actress's name is Nora Zetner. I probably pronounced it wrong. It might just be Nora Zetner. She uh, she plays Hoop, who is uh, Adam's girlfriend. Towards the end of the movie, has a small part, but it's a memorable part. She is the ears. But what is the movie about, Grimweed? What's uh, we talked all about Angela Bettis's performance. We talked about the stars. It is about a young woman with some personality issues. Um, she she's a young woman with some self esteem issues, brought on by a combination of really shitty parenting and a lazy eye that forced her to wear an eye patch over her good eye when she was small to try and strengthen her bad eye. Uh, she. She has kind of this weird connection to a doll she was given as a child. Named Susie. Yes. Uh, and Susie does not come out of her, her case at all. But 
she seems to talk to her doll and believes it believes she's holding conversations with it quite often. It kind of lives a the doll lives with her like a roommate. Yes, she does. The the when when May couldn't find any friends as a child, her mother gave May the doll as a means of like to try to cheer her up and say like, "Well, you know what, sweetie, if you can't find a friend, you know what I always say is if you can't find a friend, make one." And she gives it to May and May goes to open the case to to get Oh, she doesn't even let May open the present. No, May tries to open the present, but when she's trying to unwrap it, she tears the paper and her mom gets upset and says, "Now you've ruined it" and takes it away from her finishes unwrapping it and gives the nice little glass case that the doll is in to her and says, yeah, here, here, here's your gift that you couldn't even be bothered to unwrap well enough by yourself. May goes to open the glass case so she can hold the doll like a child. And her mother says, no. And doesn't she smack her hand away? I believe she does. He says, no, she, she stays in there. No, Susie doesn't come out of her case. She always lives in the case. Or something like that. Yeah. So the the movie starts with that and this poor little girl in the eye patch. And this monologue with Angela Bettis seemingly talk to the doll, talking about you've you've been my best friend my whole life, but it's time for me to make a real friend, somebody that I can hold. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the movie is this awkward woman who has never really had a real friend, never had a boyfriend or anything else, trying to go from basically a grown child to an adult woman overnight and the mental stresses it, it creates and shatters her psyche. So it's not an easy is that an easy enough explanation? I think <laughs> I'm hoping. Well, I, I, the way I always put it is it's just about a young woman looking for love. And that, that is obviously a humorous oversimplification. Uh, but, uh, yeah. yeah and, Cause really she's only just to. looking, she, she tells the doll, you've always seen me in the very beginning. She says, you've always seen me. And really she's just looking for somebody else that can see her for who she is and not see her for her apparent flaws or for what she perceives as flaws that are keeping people away. And you said she's a grown child, which has a lot to, a lot of bearing on the film itself, because that, that's a, a pretty good encapsulation of her character. She has all of these trials and tribulations that make us who we are. That many of us take for granted. She was denied those. She was a complete outsider her whole life. And that's left her very naive. And she views people who aren't outsiders like her. She views them as perfect people. Or at least especially parts ones. Of them. May's complicated. That's now, putting it mildly. See, May has a, like, it's like she has this uh, obsession with parts of people. She doesn't really see people as whole people, in no sense, because she never saw herself as a whole person. She always, she was always just herself and the I. Yeah, she, she learned very early certain parts are flawed and you have to hide them, hide the flaws and only only look at the good things so when she starts looking at people she's only looking at the good parts that she can see and not any any part any of the rest of the body that's why when we were talking about who is in the movie it's this person is the hands this person is the neck this person is the legs this person is the arms speaking Um, of the arms that is one hell of a hairdo oh my gosh uh yeah that's uh another thing we'll get back to eventually if you want to see a guy with a really far out hairdo, you can watch James Duvall in this movie. That's it's, uh, there's not much else to say about it. It's it, it looks with a like character a long... name of Blank. His name is Blank, which hopefully is a nickname or something. Or well, with the fair... way he acts, he is kind of a a blank character. 
And it's like, here is just this weird, we need to have that. Who wanders into the movie at this yeah, point. Yeah, we need somebody to wander in that kicks things off, but can't be anything that sets them apart other than somebody that, some random person that might be on the street that has a little weirdness to them as well that makes May connect. And that hairdo is his weirdness. It would seem. But it's a surface weirdness. But yeah, like you were saying, May only sees people as a conglomeration of parts. And some people have beautiful parts, and some people have normal parts. She doesn't fall in love with people, she falls in love with the parts of people. But the problem is, is that uh, May desperately wants a friend, or a, somebody she can connect with. And for her, I, I don't think there's any real difference between friendship and love for her, because she's just never learned the difference, because she's never had a friend. She just wants somebody who's there. And, uh, and if it's like, you know, if they're a lover or a friend, she wants both. She wants all, she just wants that person with those parts to be around her. Well, I think part of that is she has been alone or not alone, but well, yeah, kind of alone. She has been isolated for so many years that not having friends or boyfriends or any not having any relationships other than with Susie or her parents, it made it to where she couldn't really tell the difference. She didn't have the social skills to tell the difference between friend and lover. So no. it made any kind of friendship connections really, um, really awkward at times because the reactions have a weird, other than ambrosia, the, the reactions all are played as a child that doesn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. And she knows I'm not looking at them sexually, but I don't know how to express that in any way. So all I have, all I can go by is what I see TV movies or other people on the street, how they express themselves to people, which is usually more, um, more PDA than just, hi, how you doing? That's the thing. I don't think I, I got the impression May's never even seen somebody kiss in a movie. I don't know if she, how isolated her parents kept her or never, maybe they never let her watch an old romantic movie. They were like, she's never seen Gone with the Wind where Rhett kisses Scarlet or anything. But uh, she yeah, I didn't get that impression. I got I the impression that she'd seen it in the movies and like when Lucky McKee's uh, cameo in the elevator, she sees it in movies and she sees it in person. And it's more like she, she doesn't have that herself. And it's something that not knowing how to get to that point. It's no, like you meet somebody no... and oh, well, that's where you are because isn't that what you do? That's that's what I see. She doesn't, but she doesn't know about the get to know you part of relationships. Exactly. She she knows about the she knows about the the wild tumultuous togetherness that is supposed to come with a relationship, but she doesn't know anything about the playing it cool part of a relationship where uh, little mind games happen and you size each other up. She no she she has no time or notion of that. Because, like I said, it's uh, that's something that we would all take for granted in our lives that she has had no experience of. And she really plays it off well in the different scenes where they do have more of a, a sexual tone to them or, or whatever. Just the way she acts, just not knowing where to put her hands and the way she flails her arms in different ways, just trying to figure out, like, what do I do now? It's almost like, like watching Big when Tom Hanks goes into the limo for that first time and he starts picking up the phone and she's like, you're going to make a phone call now? And he's just, he's just starts searching the limo as a kid just exploring the space. Mm -hmm. her in those scenes is that same thing not knowing just that 
awkwardness. I don't know what to do. It has that same feel as just a kid that's put into a situation that is way above them. And the person they're with, at times, it's like they take advantage of that. I think they do. And let's let's just maybe take a look at her relationship with Adam and the progress of the uh, of the meeting, of, from meeting to conclusion, if we can. Uh, let's see if I got my facts straight. If I'll, I'll, I'm going to run him by you. Okay. First, she stalks him a little bit, but he never notices her. First, we meet her. She's She's gotten her lazy eye corrected, finally with contact lenses, and uh, she never has to wear the eye patch again. Her whole life's about to start. She says she has a date lined up. She doesn't really have a date, but she has is an obsession, and she is going after this guy who works in a body shop near the animal hospital she works in, and he never notices her. Uh, even though she tries to get his attention with putting on different outfits, he never seems to notice her. I like uh, the first time, I think it's the first time, she tries to get him to notice her when they're crossing the street, and just as she's about to get to him, he turns away to light a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just one of those turns like turn away so you can block the wind so it doesn't blow your lighter out. But it's just so perfectly done that it's almost like if you didn't know better, you would think he was trying to avoid her. Uh, but then she makes a really pretty shirt that she wears with no bra and goes follows him into a coffee shop where he where she tries to get his attention by always like trying to lock eyes with him across the room in some fashion. And May is an amazing seamstress, by the way. We should just say that she can make some really cool things. Great costume designer on this movie. She's trying to get his attention wearing this amazing top that is, you know, I I believe it was red. So she's sitting there being the woman in the red and he's sitting there reading a book about Dario Argento in this coffee shop. And he falls asleep there in the coffee shop with his hand up in the air. May goes over to his table and rubs her face on his perfect hand just to feel it on her face because that's that's part of the dream she has of this man is to be touched by these perfect godlike hands that she sees him as having he wakes up as her hair touches his face and she falls on her ass there in the coffee shop scared shitless and runs out because she's so embarrassed before she gets to there though can we talk about that little walk she does to get some sugar for her coffee When she gets up and she's trying to get his attention and kind of entice him, she gets up and I think it's one of the the best scenes of just her trying to be something she's not. She she gets up and it it highlights that whole awkwardness, awkward, childlike trying to be an adult. Just she gets up and tries to do like the little sexy shake her hips and just uh, like a sexy walk and fails miserably. But it's so, so well done just the way she gets up and does it and tries to be like, hey, yeah, look at me. And the whole time, if he really was looking at her, he would just be laughing his ass off. Possibly. You feel sorry for May a lot through the film, I think. Oh, yeah. It's- 100%. You feel sorry for her up until she Does says, she I need more parts. But anyway, with Adam. Now, okay, that's their first encounter. Then they have a meet cute of the laundromat. Okay. And, uh, what goes on there is uh, he walks into the laundromat. She gives him some detergent in a cup because he doesn't have any. She actually spills detergent on him and she giggles and they get along and they talk. May tries to be natural with him, but it just comes off as she's like, he, he sort of sees right through this act she's pulling where you know, she's trying to act all grown up. I like, I think he, he starts her smoking. He starts her smoking. Which is, I think is another time of somebody taking advantage of somebody. Exactly. Because yes. she she didn't smoke. She clearly had never smoked 
when he gave her the cigarette and yet he kind of pushes through with the whole, yeah, just puff, just do this. And then when he leaves, gives her the pack and says to practice. Yeah, practice. So, uh, Which, I mean, it's kind of a sweet moment if you just take out the whole fact of he's telling her to go smoke more. To me, that sort of makes it sound to me like for Mr. Perfect Hands Jerk, he doesn't see her as a person that he wants to get to know. He just sees somebody who he can play with. And he can and he can just, I, he wants to see what he can get her to do and what he can make, her, how he can make her react. So in a way, he's like an egomaniac who doesn't have any real interest in her as a person or in seeing her. He just wants to push her around a little bit. And like uh, on their next date, uh, well, on their first date, as it was, what does he do that's so romantic? What Like, is he going to take her out to a restaurant and, and wow her? Is he going to take her dancing? No, he takes her to a rusted out car frame and sets with her inside the car and eats nachos. Well, and, it, and, and even I don't that, think it's, he lets, I don't think he even lets her have any nachos. I don't remember her eating at all in that scene either, but no windshield, a jar of salsa on the dash, the, the dash just outside the windshield. And he's just dipping chips in every now and then. And every time he does, she just locks her eyes on his hands. Which says to me, he's apparently not interested in taking her out on a nice date. I could be wrong there. Maybe maybe it's just, oh, these people are quirky and they're showing, and this is their idea of a date or something. But no, I don't care how quirky you are. If, if you meet uh, someone as beautiful as May at a laundromat and you have that cute of a meeting and you get her to smoke, you, you at least buy her a steak dinner afterwards, you jerk. There no, is a conversation think- about, um, she says that she had never had had a boyfriend and says something about being weird and he says that he likes weird and then they go back to his apartment and he tries to freak her out with his mixed media collages of of weirdo pictures and text and what have you very argento inspired but i think the whole going back to his room thing well not that i think i don't know because each time i watch it i got a different feeling about this do you think he was taking her back to the the room to go all the way I, I don't think so. I don't think that was really the plan at the time. I think it was because it was right after she talks about being weird and no long, nobody liking her because she's weird. And he, he says, says he, he likes, likes weird. weird. And I think it was a way just to show her all the things in the room that he he isn't normal. I guess in his eyes, he's like, no, I'm not normal. This is, this is the shit I'm into. Oh yeah. And if you think you're, if you think you're weird, look at this. Because when she walks in, he does say, does this freak you out? Yes. But that's the thing. May isn't being weird to freak people out. May is being weird because she's weird. He, on the other hand, he seems to revel in his weirdness and try and use it to try to get a reaction from people. And when he encounters May's weirdness, it's too much for him. Yeah, it's a because different level of weird. It's it, it completely is. On their first date, uh, he, he pretends to stab her with a toy knife, which and, yeah, it's like one of those toy prop knives where you, it looks, it, you stab somebody and the knife retracts into the blade or the, the blade retracts into the handle. He picks it up and looks her dead in the eye and says, I'm a maniac or something. And uh, I brought yeah, you up here to you, kill you. You found me out. And you, he, I'm a maniac. And then he stabs her with the fake knife. And she, the entire time, is just looking at him lovingly. Doesn't yes. flinch or anything. And, and, but uh, that just says to me again, like, uh, his character, Adam, is being an immature jerk because he's not taking her very seriously. And he is, again, just playing around with her instead of actually. Well, I don't think he knew at that point. I don't think he realized what he was in for. 
And oh. it wasn't until a little later that he realized, okay, she's she's a little bit different than I thought. I, I think at first he thought she was kind of more like the quirky weird and not just a weird weird. But then he ghosts her for a, uh, for a few days. Well, before that, she, she after he him. after he stabs her, or pretend stabs her in the stomach. She takes his hands and in this weird hypersexualized, just okay. Now you're gonna stab me in the chest, and not like rips her shirt off and it and things. Just the look on her face was like a look of ecstasy when she slowly draws the knife into her chest, and then she turns it around on him. Yes. Which ends up in a kiss that becomes awkward and he pushes her away and is like, Jesus Christ, who taught you to kiss? uh, And it was her doll who taught her to kiss. Yeah, which by the again way, May, goes to the weird relationship between her and Susie. Yes, the the doll taught her to kiss through the glass, and uh, well, it didn't teach her to. Okay, I, I'm probably describing it that way. It makes it sound like there's a scene where May's kissing the doll through the glass. There is not. There's a uh, scene where she is kind of dancing and practicing kissing on her hand and her arm. And the doll is right there. And at the end of the scene, she tells, she thanks the doll for the help, gives the doll a kit. Well, gives the case the doll is in a kiss and leaves a nice little lipstick print on there. And then, then the scene happens. And then she comes back yelling at the doll, talking about who, who taught, taught you, to, you kiss? to kiss. And then it becomes an issue, which resulted, results in her breaking the glass a little bit or crack, cracking the glass on the case and cutting her hand, which she later, later blames on a Scoople. A scoople, which is what the doctor where she works calls a scalpel. Thanks to a very heavy accent. Scalpels, which May has a fondness for, because May is also a cutter, as we learn uh, in the film. Whenever something goes horribly wrong, she likes to take it out on herself and punish herself by cutting herself, preferably with something very sharp. And uh, her co-worker, Polly... Kind of seems to be into that. Yes, very much. Her co-worker, Polly, is the probably the most aggressive... Again, played by Anna Ferris. Uh, played by Anna Ferris is probably the most sexually aggressive lesbian I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Adam dubs Adam dubs her for a, a day or so, and she calls him, leaves a message on his quirky answering machine because people used answering machines back in 2001 and 2. Leave a message uh, after the scream. Yes, that was, hey, this is Adam. Leave a message after the scream. And then she leaves a message and just stares at the phone waiting for him to call back. And a scene that they left that shot on her for long enough to really give you the impression she doesn't intend on moving. She's just going to sit there. She's just going to sit there and stare at the phone until it rings. Yes. And that doesn't work. So she goes to his house in a nice dress she's made and she just stands on his porch. For two hours. For two hours. Exactly. And and he comes out of his house and says, whoa. <laughs> yeah. She didn't How, knock. She didn't ring the doorbell. She just goes and stands on the porch and waits for him to finally come out. Which, to me, should have been a pretty clear signal red to flag. this guy. Yes, red flag. Hello. But he doesn't see red flags. He sees opportunities, I think. And I'm sorry. It's just part of my thesis of this movie that Adam is kind of a jerk throughout the movie. And again, uh, I don't know if she, she... Well, she was being honest, but I don't know if he took her serious at that point because he still was not quite sure. There'd been nothing really like, okay, this chick's just off her rocker. Um, and when he opens the door and she's there. It's like, how long have you been there? And she's like, oh, since two. And he looks at his his watch and says, you've not really been here for two hours, have you? 
And she just says, well, what do you think? So right. it could be, it's like, yeah, I'm just kidding. And my just deadpan delivery of it makes you think that I might not be kidding, but I don't but think it, he was really aware of how weird she is yet. But it's okay though, because Adam likes weird. Yes. This is when we find out about the the movie that he was has been working on, which is why she hadn't called her back yet. Because he's been busy with the movie. She shows up with all these red flags and he still keeps taking the bait because apparently he wants something out of somebody this weird. Okay, this look, he's a guy and she, she is a, an attractive young woman who apparently likes him. That, that automatically means she's got the advantage and he is probably going to suffer just because I, he's being a guy, which means he's already dumb as hell in the situation. I think that means she's going to suffer a little more than he will, but fair enough. Well, she's the one who has to put up with that dumbassness. Yeah. Um, I, I just mean, just as far as what, what you're getting into guys have a tendency of seeing an attractive woman at, well, at least all the ones I've met in my life, we have a tendency of um, not thinking the... quite clearly when there's an attractive woman in, involved in the situation. So you're saying he was thinking with his dick. Yeah, he, he was trying to get laid. Exactly. Yeah. And she is a grown child. So let's, excuse me if I, I just have to point out that there there's a there is a huge power imbalance to this relationship. He either doesn't get it or he willfully ignores it. I think he doesn't get it. I, I think he just doesn't get I it I think yet. you are giving him far too much credit because she has put, she has shown herself to be She's also an attractive or, woman. It, I think he gets, I think is, it's after his movie, after his not, movie. I think that is when he gets it. Gets it. He has to find his, out the hard way. All right. For, first, let's talk about the movie. If you haven't gotten Adam's character by this point, he is a quirky horror film nerd who he reads books about Dario Argento. He talks about Argento films and he says he's working on movies. How familiar are you with Monty Python's Flying Circus? I'm, I'm relatively familiar. Do you remember one of the skits where it was this idyllic um, kind of pasture scene and they're all in the, in the nice white clothes and the piano and everything. And it just turns into a bloodbath. The guy's playing the piano and the thing comes down over the keys and his hand like it cuts his hands off and just all these weird things happen that are very much a precursor to the black knight where just okay this limb is gone but the person's still going it's a lot of that kind of thing um i think at the end it shows someone laying on the ground with a tennis racket stuck in them or whatever yeah. but that scene how it played out with just this idyllic scene and then going into that bloodbath whenever i see his movie it's just like they took that scene and put a sex twist to it Yes, I call it the Hanky Panky movie because it, it, that seems like the most popular song they could afford for the film was Tommy James and the Shondells' My Baby Does the Hanky Panky. What the movie is, is you see this happy couple that in a bla in black and white, like skipping through the forest on their way to a picnic, and they lay out a blanket, sit out down the picnic, and they start making out on the picnic blanket. And uh, they don't have any picnic basket with them because... They are the picnic. Yeah, he bites her neck and she starts bleeding and she eats she his bites finger, finger off, which May finds far fetched. Uh, and uh, they proceed to devour one another in kissing cannibalistic bliss for the duration of this short film uh, until it says, uh, pretentiously at the end, it says Rigia, Adam Stubb. And during the movie, it cuts back and forth between the movie and Adam and May on the couch. And each time it cuts back to them, 
something a little bit more gruesome has just happened. And each time she's looking more enthralled and it's like she's getting more and more attracted to him. And during the movie, Adam's looking at her like, there is something a little different about her. She is not quite right. But as of right now, it might be my brand of not quite right. And it brought them together enough to where it's like, hey, now there's this cute girl that she's into me. I'm not quite sure the reason, but she's into me. This might be my chance to get a piece. And then she tries to take a piece. And considering the power imbalance, he's a jerk. They go into bed. T- he he takes charge of the kissing because May is so bad at it. And Well, okay. He's actually kind of sweet at that moment because he can tell she's she's awkward and she she is out of place and it's not just he's going to hold her down and take advantage of this advantage of the situation he kind of stops her and says okay just breathe relax and he doesn't like grab her arm and push it down on the bed he just kind of realizes she doesn't know what to do with her arm so he just kind of gently just here and it's it is played as a very sweet moment until until she bites his lower lip yeah and she bites it so hard that he has to pull away and he's bleeding profusely out of his lip and he sprays blood all over me she starts rubbing the blood on her exactly and saying it's just like your movie and he uh he says may what are you doing i need a towel she tries to hold his hand and uh make him touch her lips and smear the blood on her lips or something Well, she tries to bite him a couple more times too and he says may this is weird and she goes you like weird he goes not that weird and bails yeah which now he knows. Up until that point, I don't really think he knew what he was in for. That is giving him way too much benefit of the doubt. Oh, he knew he was in for weird, but I don't think he knew he was in for that kind of weird. Nope, way too much benefit of the doubt. He was basically going after a physically mature 12-year-old, and he... Well, yeah, but he didn't realize she was that emotionally immature. He should have worked a little harder to figure it out instead of just trying to cure with his penis oh yeah i i agree that he took advantage of the situation but i disagree with he he knew more i think he was still he was still not sure what he was in for until she drew blood grim i am disappointed in your in your blatant adam stubbs apologism no because i will sit and i will watch horror movies all day long i yeah Sure, no problem. I've seen things that I was coming home from school one night and was taking the exit. A tow truck driver had been hit by a car and was in more than one piece in the road. I've seen some pretty awful things. Yet, if I was going to make out with someone and they bit me to the point that they drew blood and it turned them on, I'd shy away too. Yes. There's a a different level of weirdness and I can accept some weird, but yeah, I'm kind of with him on that one because there's not a, it's not like when you're thinking, okay, yeah, she's weird. You're automatically thinking that's the level of her weird. And levels of weird is a recurring theme throughout the movie because after that with Adam, well, let me just say... Things get go from bad to worse. They go downhill quick. Adam wants nothing to do with May at this point anymore. She winds up losing her mind a little bit, and you see more cracks show up on Susie's glass coffin. And May, desperate to reconnect with Adam, goes to his apartment again, or his house, and overhears him talking about what a nightmare she is. And Adam is having a cigarette, and he I think he lives with a roommate. Yeah, I don't know who uh, the guy was, because we don't see him any other time. He's just in there exercising, doing sit-ups and push-ups and we hear a, a girl somewhere who might have been uh hoop uh in the room yeah we just hear a voice and see a hand and uh adam is talking with the door open 
and he well well, well he the, smokes, the, the the roommate that was exercising tells him to take it outside so then you see the door open and adam's hand with a cigarette goes out the door so he's he's blowing smoke out the door yeah and that's how he that's how may overhears because he's standing right by the door with it cracked open as he's smoking and she's right outside the door and he talks about what a nightmare and a freak May is. May is devastated by Adam's complete abandonment of her. And suddenly her dream of this wonderful life that she's going to have now that her lazy eye is fixed is dashed. Suddenly she has nothing again. Suddenly she is alone and she runs to the arms of Polly, her lesbian co-worker who has been aggressively pursuing her since the beginning, since she found out May likes to cut herself. Well, this was she, also after after that nice little uh, dance scene. Yeah, where uh, Polly makes a very not so subtle joke yeah. or I guess or innuendo. She basically just invites May to have sex with her right there while they're dancing and uh, and then tries to cover it up like it was a joke. It's very crude. She leans in and not really whispers, but she kind of leans in and in her ear just says, do you like pussy? Cats? Cats? I mean, pussy cats, you dirty thing. Ha ha ha. May runs to the arms of Polly and allows Polly to consummate her infatuation with May upon May. Does she, though? I believe she does. Because it I, goes I, to a point um, where Polly basically just seduces May, has her dress unbuttoned and is kissing her and working her way down her body. But then she puts her hand up around May's face and May sees that giant mole on her finger and now looks disgusted. And then the scene ends. Yes, but it ended with her at Polly's place. It didn't, I, I think if there was going to be an awkward reversal, this movie would have reveled in the fact and it would have. Uh, so you think I, if it didn't happen and that that disgusted her so much, she couldn't stay in the moment, she would have got up and they would have played that scene out as her revulsion and leaving? Yes. Or I, it could have I, been that they, they initially had that and ended up cutting that out too, because- this is only available on DVD. It has very limited things. There's no deleted scenes. So if you can find deleted scenes, let us know, because I would love to see them. That would be great. To further my point about her be her consummating with Holly, uh, did I say Holly? Because her name's Polly. Um, I, I believe this is the case because she goes back to Polly's play, place a few days later and knocks on the door, and Polly is there with another woman. Well, when she goes back, this is after another kind of devastating moment. Yes. It's not, she never goes to Polly, like, let's hang out. She goes to Polly after something bad happens and it's generally, yeah, Adam did something and broke my heart again, or I did something which caused Adam to freak out again, but it's always something bad has happened. Now I'll run to Polly because Polly is the only person that keeps talking to me and she treats me nice. In a weird way. Yeah. But again, May is not adept with social social interaction she misreads so much that i don't think she really caught on to polly's true intentions with everything i think i think polly in this case is far worse than adam because she obviously played with may and had no problem doing it she she said oh yeah well i'll kick her out if you want to and she acted like it but she kept going back and she just said, well, yeah, you know, it's nothing serious. It's just a piece of ass. She was far worse than Adam. Adam was like, yeah, she's weird. But at, so far, it's still into my kind of weird. It wasn't until she crossed the line and then he he backed off. Possibly. I know now, you really want to like Anna Ferris better because she is, as character wise, I, I know you want to like her better because 
it's a lot easier to sit and watch those two have a scene than it was May and Adam. I think the I think the sex scenes were filmed kind of equal opportunity in a sense. Uh, they uh, the the scene between May and Polly apparently they shot for hours. They did like all day just trying to get that scene, and they kept doing reshoots. I guess there was a lot of like short ends and things like that they were trying to piece together with the film but they kept trying it's like with the different angles and because they were in awkward position with may being on the floor and polly being up on the couch especially with that initial kiss from above hmm. but yeah they spent a lot of time and i guess he went w- went to angela and was like okay so um yeah um uh yeah uh, well it just kind of stammering like that and asking her how com- how much are you willing to show how come comfortable are you with doing certain things and he he was really nervous about it but they spent a long time filming the lesbian makeout session as directors are wont to do uh, there are horror stories about the director of blue is the warmest color trying to get the actresses to do uh, all sorts of disgusting things together on camera that they refused to do that um, movie wasn't too bad either that i, I kind of like that one i've never seen it uh i've just i just know the stories that the, the leia sadow and uh the other uh adele adele exarchopoulos um yeah, I have no idea, and I wouldn't even try and pronounce it. I just know it. It's got a very, um, it, it's a very impactful story. I'll have to check it out sometime, but it's in French, and I uh, a lot of times if a movie is in, is foreign and I have to read subtitles, this I wasn't always this way. I used to revel in reading subtitles and just being like, I I can get through a movie with subtitles. That's no big deal. I can do that anytime I want. I I'll, yeah, whatever. No, nowadays I I I might just fall asleep when it's a, when it's a movie with subtitles. I. I just, I'm that way now. Which Uh, brings me to something that was, um, it was brought to my attention when we did the first episode, when we were talking about which, like, you're more horror, I'm more sci-fi, when you were saying that. Um, mm -hmm. I still disagree, but we've not seen enough to really judge on that. But if you think about it, in that first one, you said, when we were talking about Strangers on a Train and talking about it initially being a book, you said that you hadn't read it and you probably probably never would because there's a lot of things that you would like to read but will never read and then again with like Bubba Hotep was yeah wow. I'm not going to read it and then then fifth element when we were talking about the comics it was hopefully I'll be able to read that and how much time it, for reading do you think I have well no it that's not that's not what I'm getting at my point was okay you're saying you're more horror I'm more sci-fi I praised the horror comedy. You praised the sci-fi. Oh, uh-huh. You were like, yeah, it's it's a horror, whatever it is. I might not read, I'll probably never read it. The sci-fi, yeah, I love the sci-fi. I'll pr- I, hopefully I'll be able to read that. So you're praising the sci-fi. I'm praising the horror. Well, it's a horror comedy, but it's still horror. And we started out with you saying, I'm more sci-fi, you're more horror. So I'm already chalking one up on my horror and one up on your sci- uh, sci-fi on my tally board. You hear that, people? I've been hoisted by my own petard. He's caught me. He's no, caught me. What I'm really sci-fi. saying is I'm keeping track. Fair enough. 
because back to the subject I have other things I want to try and track. And once we get into more, not more recent, but once we get into more of a genre that can lend way to some of my ideas, we're going to be tracking some shit. Fair enough. In the meantime, May is with Polly. May is devastated by what Adam said. Earlier in the movie, she was sitting with Adam in a park and a group of children emerged into the park and Adam explains to her that they are all blind kids from a local special needs daycare. May, feeling the need to help people like herself, I believe, people who are outsiders as children who might have developmental issues well as one up, child in particular one child in particular may goes to the special needs daycare and applies to volunteer so she can meet this girl Petey, who while she is part of the group of the blind kids she seems to always keep herself separate she is the outsider of the group she's the outsider of the group of sight disabled children and may makes it somewhat something like a, her mission in life to try to in this at least from what we see in this movie may tries to help this young girl out that tries to connect with her tries to give her some sort of friend which it seems uh, to work at first it, because the girl gives may a ashtray with uh, may's name in it who wrote that who wrote the may did the blind girl write may in the middle of the ashtray did may write her name on it did she help Petey to write it we just see this big ass clay ashtray with may written on it because Petey's ma Petey's making something with clay may asks her what she's making she said i'm making an ashtray and may jokingly says well why are you making an ashtray do you smoke and she just says well no and then it looks and says, you smoke so because she can smell it on yeah. her apparently. And she says, well yes i do kind of like in and it was like in a sweet way when she says i do it wasn't like yeah unfortunately or whatever or like it was a bad thing it was kind of like an endearing because she is still connecting the smoking with Adam and it's still something that is a loving thing for her. It's it's like she's still connected to him in that way. When she's dancing with Polly earlier in the movie, it's all it's like a scene of strange sexual ambivalence because the fact is is she had been Paul, playing Paul, with the cigarettes up until that point until Polly takes the cigarettes from her and puts one in her mouth. And then gets her up and starts her dancing and yeah. makes her very crude innuendo. May is seems to be pulled between the cigarettes and Polly's attention to the to the point where you have to question is May attracted to Polly? Is she torn between her devotion to Adam and this and the way he's in the room right now with her, with this piece of him that he left with her, the cigarettes? Or is she interested in Polly, who is giving her this attention that she craves? Well, uh, the cigarettes tie both of those together, or both of the, both of their big scenes, because that that scene you're talking about there, where the the dancing May is sitting there playing with the cigarettes. Polly's yes. trying to get her attention and get her to focus on her instead of the cigarettes. Yeah, she's whoring it up. And she she turns on music and the animals start making noise and so they're serenading us. That means we have to dance. And uh -huh. she's still, Mage still just sits there. So Polly gets up on the table, takes the cigarettes from May, puts one in her mouth and is like, well, are you going to dance with me or not? And then it cuts to, you see the cigarettes on the table, one of them sitting there that's got Polly's lipstick and the two are dancing. And then later when May is at Polly's house and that kissing scene that we were talking about before when that comes up may sitting there with the cigarettes again and has one in her mouth polly takes the cigarette from may's mouth with her own mouth yes so that the cigarettes are kind of tying the the tie with adam to Pop. the the sex from Polly. And I think that's kind of helping for May to blur those lines a little. 
because she's exactly. having this attraction to, to Adam and it's tied with this while also this other feeling is coming in and it helps because she's got no experience. It helps kind of twist things and get her fragile psyche just a little bit more fragile. Well, I see the cigarettes as a thematic element in that they, one, she got them from Adam and in a sense they're a part of Adam. Yes. That he's left in his life with her. They're very tactile and there's something that he would touch with his hands a lot. So she would be able to uh, play with the cigarettes and think about the, his hands. But May is something of a collector, uh, I think, as, as the movie goes on. Because what everybody just sort of dumps things on her. Like Adam gives her the pack of cigarettes and the cigarettes are like this memento she has of Adam. Polly gives her a whole cat. Polly uh, says, oh, this is Loopy. Oh, my landlady says I can't have her. Can you my landlady's take her? a bitch. You're her only hope, May. Oh, so she basically guilts May into taking this cat. And then May gets the ashtray from Petey, and she brings that home. She is collecting all these weird little trinkets from people that she can have to remember them by but she never gets the person itself she she never gets the actual friend or closeness that she's looking for she only ever gets these parts of them even with polly she would spend a lot of time just focused on the neck and like the makeout session she she spent a, a long time focused there i'd have to say for that scene that's another that even like how it started with adam it was kind of very sweet how it starts plays out like a very sweet scene but after you see the movie and you really get more of an idea of what's going on and her fixations now every time i see her like looking at that neck and that scene and her kissing the neck and everything it's a whole nother meaning but when you're yeah. first watching it just that scene it is a it's a rather sweet she she knows there's things with necks and different body parts and it kind of plays out like she's that hesitant timid not quite sure about kissing her on the lips because i've already been well who taught you to kiss right and like i said it, it does play like a very sweet thing at that point but it changes later oh does it so things have gone horribly wrong with adam things have gone horribly wrong with polly may at least has the volunteer work she's going to be doing with the blind children she brings Susie to meet the blind kids to maybe i don't know if she's going to try to explain to them how they can have friends who aren't friends like uh, she's trying to do for them what her mom did for her where it's like oh if you can't find a friend you should make one if she you're volunteering with blind kids why would you bring something that, that you know they can't touch. touch, set it in front of them, and then just say, can anyone tell me what this is? Because May clearly hadn't thought this through. And say, can anyone tell me what this is? And they even say, how would we know? Yeah. Uh, but it goes horribly wrong because May tells them what it is. She tells them, she explains to them how this is her best friend, Susie. It's a doll that lives in her, in her case. And one of the blind, I think the blind girl, Petey, uh, actually manages to get Susie away from May. Yeah. They kind it. of wrestle it, uh, wrestling back and forth because Petey wants the doll out of the case. And May's like, no, she stays in there. She doesn't come out. She's very fragile. And Petey's like, well, no, I want, I, I want her out. So. So as they're fighting to get Susie, it goes wrong and falls on the floor. The Glass shatters all over the floor. And this is where the movie gets a little far-fetched for me because all the blind kids would have heard the glass break. Mm -hmm. They knew. Well, that's how they that's how they knew that the doll was out because the glass broke. Well, they I think they I, I think a blind kid would have been a little more conditioned not to get down on your hands and knees near broken glass. 
because and, that's what they all do. Yeah. And the, the teacher knew and even says a glass and they, her and, and May, all the adults are rushing to try and stop the kids. May's actually not trying to stop the kids. She's trying to get the doll. To her, Susie is a real person. Yeah, her only friend for her whole life, essentially, has been this doll. Over the years, she's given the doll a personality. It has its own voice in her head. May is trying to get Susie. Susie is being torn apart by blind kids. May is getting glass on her hands and fingers. May starts to cry and tries to wipe her eyes with glass on her fingers. And just, it goes horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, there's a point in the movie, I think, after Polly has uh, betrayed her and after Adam has left her uh, she gets sick of something the cat's doing so she uses the ashtray she throws the well, ashtray she had at a bad the cat day. and kills it yes she had, um, a bad day. she had a bad day and she's trying to get the cat to come over to her and she's like I just I need I, I need a friend right now just come come here and the cat won't and hisses at her and goes into the bathroom so she gets upset and throws the ashtray and crushes the cat's skull with it. I believe that was after she had met Ambrosia. I think so, yeah. So yes. this, this was before the the glass all over with the, the kids and everything. This was before that. She had, she had the dead cat in her arms yes. and her eyes started to burn or whatever. And she's rubbing her, her eyes and starts crying. And then the next scene cuts to her laying on her couch with a dead cat laying across her lap and on her face she had doll parts covering her eyes and then polly calls like where are you the doctor's kind of upset you haven't shown up for two days what's going on and then may gets up and looks at herself in the mirror and you see the bloody eyes right and i think this is supposed to portray may at her lowest point because it's not long after that that she meets blank and uh she seems to heal up pretty well uh there's there's what no evidence like? of lots of pretty parts no pretty holes yes and that's holes w-h-o-l-e-s as in whole body yeah uh, except for if you if you have subtitles on um the subtitles say holes h-o-l-e-s some of them but yeah anyway may goes people watching after uh after recovering her sight and, and she's beauty. seeing all these people with pretty parts, but no, nobody is an entire pretty person. And she's just sitting there smoking at a bus stop when a punk walks up and says, hey, good looking, or more or less. Well, yeah, he, he jumps over the back of the, the bench and looks at her and then asks her if she's okay. And then mm. she says, lots of pretty parts, no pretty holes. I'm not going to get deep into her relationship with Blank. Uh, I'm just going to say she likes that she likes the tattoo on his arm. I think you've already said that uh, he came off as weird based on his hair. She was able to relate to the his probably outsider status to some extent. Yeah, and of, it was somebody paying attention to her. And he he asked attention. like what her name is and and everything, and and she's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's like she's she's just super depressed and he's just trying to be nice. And he says, I'm just trying to be friendly mm, and yeah. asks if she wants to go and get jujubes with him. Yeah, he's trying. And to they end him. up back at her place with jujubes. But, um, uh, but he has just the most awkward and blatant, I'm just here trying to get a piece lines as you'll ever see in a movie. It's like Jimbo from The Simpsons when he says, oh, baby. Now my shirt's chafing me. Oh, is an yeah. He, he talks about how hot it is and asks if he can take his shirt off. And she said, "Yeah, right. do whatever you want." Yeah, 
and and then he says, "Oh, I'm still hot." Yeah. Do you so, have any ice cubes I can rub on my nipples? Yeah. Thankfully, Blank is not in the movie for very long because he goes to look for the ice cubes and he goes and opens her freezer and freaks out when he finds the remains of Loopy in there and wrapped in May saran wrap on wrapped in partially wrapped in saran wrap and laying on a on popsicles unlike some movies they achieved the these notions of animal cruelty with uh, the magic of taxidermy and special effects people so there well, were no animals harmed during the, the making fake of this movie. cats in this movie were the same fake cats from adam sandler's mr deeds so once once mr deeds finished they got the fake cats from that and normally when you have animals in the movie that you're going to end up with dead or whatever, you have your animals and then you get the fakes that look like that. This time they had all the fake animals first. So then they had to have, they, they had the struggle of now we have to find animals that look like our fakes. But yeah, they got fake animals that already had credits to their names. That's one way to do it. May has a breakdown when Blank finds the cat and uh, Blank calls her a freak. May explains how she still needs friends and stuff, and she and Blank says, I'm not going to be your friend. You, yeah, now that you know my secret, can we be best friends? And uh, Blank gets stabbed in the forehead with, I think, scissors. Yeah, he puts his hands up because she's coming at him with scissors. He puts his hand up to, to defend himself, and she stabs him through his hands into his head. And thankfully, Blake, Blank is gone at that point. And uh, May has crossed the line. May has decided to stop putting up with the abuse. She has decided, decided to stop putting up with the uh, people just using her for a moment. She's tired of being rejected. Now she's doing the rejecting. Yeah, and yeah. I think this is when like the music is going and then suddenly it just stops. It's like you have this nice little tune and it stops dead. And she just says, I need more parts. Yeah. And that one line, just the way she delivers it, will send a chill down your spine. And she goes about getting more parts. And uh, May's voice has changed. She no longer speaks hesitantly. She no longer searches for her words. She, she has a lot more confidence in her voice now. She has a lot more confidence in her voice. She speaks with purpose. Uh, she speaks with personality and uh, a fully formed personality, I should say. She's no longer this nervous, shy child. She is now a woman with a purpose. Then she goes to work and uh, she has to put up with Polly and Ambrosia. Who... Ambrosia is, first of all, Ambrosia is the ditziest person that you can imagine. But this Maybe, scene starts but... with May taking measurements of Polly. Of she neck. is measuring her neck and her shoulders and everything, taking measurements for of a blouse Polly. she's going to make. Yeah, under the guise of I'm going to make you a new blouse to make up for the awkwardness in my attitude when I came over and saw you with some bimbo. Well, Am Ambrosia shows up, calls out for Polly, and she's like, "Oh yeah, we're out here." Ambrosia comes, comes through the door. the door. Yeah, Ambrosia comes to the door, looks around, and Polly says, "Yeah, we're here." And then she looks straight ahead and says, "Oh, there you are!" And go, just takes a couple steps, goes over to Polly, and gives her a kiss. It's like, how can you not notice? You come through a door, and there's people right there, and it's the people you're looking for. Why do you have to come out and look around first? Maybe she was on drugs. I'm gonna sit here and pretend I haven't missed things right in front of me a hundred times or something. But uh, anyway, well, yeah. But yeah. when you when you walk into a court courtyard, there's two people in it, and they're just a few feet in front of you. And those are the two people, or one of those two people is who you're looking for. Yeah, I would have hope I you wouldn't miss them. Anyway, Ambrosia is part of Polly's life now, and uh, May is just putting right up with it. 
while she surreptitiously pockets a few surgical supplies from the table like bone saws and scalpels. Things are escalating quickly for Mae, and she's stolen surgical equipment. She has decided to get more parts, and it's going to be Halloween night. She goes to make her outfit for the night, and she dresses up as Susie. Because, as we mentioned, Susie has been a real person her whole life, and now May is that real person. May is personifying this personality Susie, I think. And uh, Well, you want to talk maybe, about maybe how... May is just her voice has changed. Yes. This is a really good example of her voice and her confidence level and everything changing because before it has her with her costume and all that, she's on the phone leaving a message for Polly talking about how, um, uh, like, what are you doing Halloween or something like that. Uh, I was, I wanted to come over and bring you your blouse and show you my Halloween costume. Right. And but, that tone, that had the most confidence, and it was such a dramatic change from how she's been throughout everything else, that that phone call, I think, is a really good example of that switch going yes. from just a, a timid child woman to just this confident, batshit, crazy woman. And... uh it's really just startling if if you're if you ever watch the movie it's really just startling just the complete turnaround a complete reinvention of the character that Angela Bettis is able to achieve as May after she kills blank uh she completely it's it's, it's night a complete and day. 180 yeah earlier in the movie Polly was calling carving a pumpkin and now it's Halloween yeah because and... even at, like once she kills blank even in the park when when Adam shows up and they have that little conversation, when he shows up and he's like, oh, hey, mate, she just looks up like, hey, dude, what's up? Yeah. It's not like anything. Oh, hey, Adam. It's just, hey, dude. Yeah. We get to see May leaving her apartment dressed as Susie. Her face is beautiful dress. Beautiful dress because May is an amazing seamstress. Yes. But May does, she does the makeup to, to pale the face more like the doll. And she goes basically all the way to try and be Susie. And she pulls it off miraculously. And she buys a, I don't think she had this cooler, but she, she no, has No, she goes Halloween. to a hardware store. It's Baller's Hardware or Baller Hardware. She buys herself a giant pink cooler and she's taking it out of her apartment. Yeah, it's a, it's a red cooler on wheels. And I don't know if it was on wheels or if it was like a little pink. dolly thing that you can strap a cooler onto. But yeah, it's just a red cooler she pulls behind her. She's going out there and she's getting those parts. But uh, she is a killer on the prowl on Halloween night. And the first stop she makes is Polly's apartment. They do a nice switch on this too. Because the first time they were in Polly's apartment, was May, May was on the on floor. The floor. And Polly was on the couch and Polly was the one in control of everything. This time, Polly's on the floor, May's on the couch, and May's got control. And May has scalpels. Yeah. That too, and Polly relaxes back into May's uh, back into May's hips as she just sits there, and May shows her the scalpels. They talk, and May listens, and, and May's May kind of caressing her neck at the same time with these scalpels mm -hmm. in her hand. And, and Polly's uh, like, "Yeah, I know you wouldn't hurt me." May, yeah, she goes, "I trust you, May. I know you would never hurt me." Which are her last words. She's just letting her know. It's like, yeah, I feel, I feel safe with you. Mm -hmm. And it's, and just the tone of her voice and everything. It's, it's a sweet tone. May just takes that sweetness and throws it out the window. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that May simply places the scalpels at key points along the inside of uh, just, basically neck just and, under her, just under the jawline. 
just under the jawline and gently pulls them back at the same time to slit both her jugular and carotid arteries then and there. And it and cuts to to May's face a couple times in this. And the look on her face is just this beautiful, serene look that I read it as she's free. It's like it's she, she, she knows her purpose. She knows what she has to do now. And she's... She's got the beautiful part. She's get, she's getting the part she needs and is happy. And there's some beautiful shots in this from, from that point. I mean, there's some beautiful shots all the way through. But from when she steps out of that elevator until she ends up at Adam's house, there's a lot of really beautiful shots. And she does end up at Adam's house. So I'm guessing we're spoiling this one too. Because ultimately, this movie does have a happy ending. From a certain perspective, yes. I was <laughs> the look on your face right there. I was so waiting for you to say, "Are you fucking nuts?" No, I, I know. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> or are we going to go to a certain point? And let's then... go to the point where uh, let's go to the point where Adam has to end his seat performance, and then let's just say we'll wrap it up there. Well, I, I think we can go a little bit further. We don't necessarily have to say how it ends, but we can go a little further. Well, okay. We can try. May gets her neck, and she gets the legs, and she goes to Adam, and she knocks on the door. And it's Halloween night. Adam opens the door. I think he's either dressed like Jesus or he's dressed like Julius Caesar. I think it's I Jesus. I think it was Julius Caesar is what they were going for. Well, Either way, is, he, was he was wearing... dressed as somebody from way long ago. He was wearing like a toga. Yeah. Or a caftan. I don't know. I, I don't know the specific term. He had some didn't... fabric draped over him, so he wasn't naked when he opened the door. Uh, but anyway, uh, she knocks on Adam's door. He opens it. He sees May. He asks what she's doing here. She says nothing. Nothing at all. Well, no, that actually no. I that's not true. He opens door, asks what she's doing there. She says nothing. Just stares down at his hands. He waves his hand in front of her face. Her eyes just follow his hand. And then she says, I need them. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think he tells her to leave. I think so. But uh, she does not leave because... Uh, Hoop shows up. Hoop shows up and uh, she hangs on Adam's shoulder and she... Oh, this is May. Yeah, these are my hands now, honey. Yeah, and once she finds out it's May, she invites her in for a drink. And uh, May says something like, I like your earrings. And and that and yeah, the whole time seems... it's kind of like, who the fuck are you, you crazy bitch? And then she says, I like your rings. All of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, I like your dress. And she's like warms up to her. Yeah. And then finds out it's May, sudden. and things turn again. Yeah. Adam reluctantly invites May in for a drink. Well, Hoop invites her in. Yes. Re oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Adam reluctantly allows May in for a drink. Yeah. And he's apparently been drinking quite a bit that night. As it is, uh, May has left her cooler outside. I think. I, yeah, she, I don't remember seeing it at all when she was standing on the porch, but I don't know if it's just because the shot was too high or what. And uh, she sits with Adam. Well, she's sitting across the table from, from Adam, watching his hands as he plays with that prop knife from earlier. Which make, which rise, gets a little smile out of her for a moment, but she quickly pushes that back down, I think. Yeah, she asks Adam to touch her face, and he looks at her like, what the fuck are you talking about? And his girlfriend is like, yeah, Adam, touch my face, and goes and sits on his lap. And May is like, yeah, you need to stop. That Those are mine. Stop. Don't do it. And she's like, yeah, these are my hands now. And May doesn't like that. May does not like that at all. Things escalate slowly but surely uh, until Hoop walks over to May 
Well, uh, May Hoop falls on the floor at yeah, one point. Hoop falls on the floor because she goes to get off of Adam's lap and falls on the floor, and he just kind of looks down at her and is like, "Yeah, whatever," and doesn't doesn't try to help. So May gets up to go over to her and offers her hand to help her up. Yeah, but was May helping her up, or was May just saying? Oh, Here. she was she was one hundred percent setting her up, but she yeah. she went over to help her up off the floor. Yeah. Uh, then Adam rises, and May is standing there with Adam and Hoop, and uh, May just looks at Adam and stabs Hoop right in the throat with uh, one of her scalpels. Yeah, she she keeps telling Adam to touch her face and he's like, fine, whatever. And he reaches out in like a pointed finger and just kind of touches her on the forehead. And May grabs his wrist with one hand and with the other hand shoves a scalpel into Hoop's neck. Which freaks Adam the hell out and he, uh, he pulls away from May and blood is spattering all over him. And cut to May walking into her apartment with a bloody cooler. Yes. And should we stop there? Um, no, I think we can go a little further because I mean, she's got the parts. She's got all the parts and we it shows May uh, showering, not lasciviously. Well, it is an interesting shower scene. Um, it's uh, it's her in the shower washing the parts. So it's a it's an odd mix of sexuality, gore, and horror and comedy. Yeah, it was a nice a, it was a nice fake out scene. I thought. Yes. But yeah, she puts the pieces together and... And she builds this person like a doll with uh, Adam's hands, uh, Blank's torso and arms, uh, Polly's neck. But I think that's as far as we should go unless we want to tell them the true ending of May. I think we can skip what happens and just go to it does have a happy ending in a sense that um, at the end, whether it's actually happening or if it's just in May's weird twisted mind she does get a friend that sees her responds to her and and it ends with may with a very serene happy smile on her face but that's all we can say and if you want to watch it you should 100 percent, go watch it it's a great movie if you haven't watched it yet watch it um if you haven't watched it yet but you've sat this long and listened to us talk about it why because <laughs> we've spoiled quite a bit of it already i think may is a unique and a very just I think it was a high watermark for horror of its time period I think it uh, it has aged like wine it's a movie I can watch over and over again and always find something different in it the train is coming to a stop and it's time to say goodbye here in the movie car I well, hope everyone out there I mean, we, we still have a couple things what do we have well one our standard if there was anything you would change oh if there was anything I would change I'd fix the continuity errors that you brought up so People wouldn't have to learn about them and and uh, have have their love of the movie tarnished. I don't by, look uh, at that as tarnishing. I look at it as it gives you something else to look for because you can watch the movie over and over again. Continuity as far as the arm thing, he left it in for the simple fact of if that if your attention's dragged away from that, we didn't do our job, so it doesn't matter. So it's not that big a deal, and he ignored it. But that doesn't mean you can't take your own meaning from it. So you can look for certain things and like, hmm, okay, well, if that was intentional, why would it be? What would you change? Um, I think this might be one of those movies where I could look past every continuity error, look past everything, and kind of like Bubba Hotep, where the only change I would make is change its popularity. That would be a good one, too. She does such a good job in this movie that you can't help but want to have more of that. Even with her demented, psychotic self, you want more May. You do. Unfortunately, though, we only get so much. But I think that is a credit to 
Angela's ability to have this character that is so problematic and you still want more of it. You do. It's also just a credit to her charisma as a performer and her just ability to make this really oddball character just so magnetic and just so utterly watchable even though she's doing these incredibly awkward things and even though she's and then when she takes a turn and starts doing these incredibly psychotic things you have to watch her and you have to find out what what's at the end of this story and she makes it really hard for you to take your eyes off of her so where would this where would this fall on on your um, favorites list? Where would it fall on my favorite? It's up there. It's it's up there for uh, I I keep it. Uh, I I have a a horror movie section to my physical media, and I I keep uh, I keep May prominently displayed in my Frankenstein section. A very fitting space for it. Right next to Rocky Horror Picture Show, and between right between Rocky Horror Picture Show and Young Frankenstein, I think. Uh, where does it stand in your for you for with May? May is one of those movies when when I'm trying to see somebody's threshold. There, there's a few movies that I'll play. If you didn't know already, then you haven't listened to past episodes, and why not? I really like Bubba Hotep. Oh, um, indeed. Bubba Hotep is one that if I'm testing thresholds, I'll play that. I will play May, and I I don't know which one I start with. It all depends on the person. So I'll put one in, then I'll put the other. And if both of those are okay, then I might go with House of a Thousand Corpses. And not because I think House of a Thousand Corpses is up there with May and Bubba Hotep, but testing a threshold, I think if you go from Bubba Hotep to May to House of a Thousand Corpses, that's enough of a jump to where if they can follow you with that kind of a jump, you can go anywhere. That's a fair assessment. So for you, May is almost an assessment tool for uh for how you for how you yeah. gauge other people's oh, reactions. To very film. much so. If you can't hang with May, then there has to be a very specific reason. If it's a movie that's too much for you, then you're not going to be able to hang with anything else because yeah, May is not too much. I think May it's just just right enough amount. at just the right times, but the way it is done is just it's gorgeous filmmaking. Yes. I I think it's one that should have got way more attention than it did. It should get way more than it ever will. And hopefully one day we'll get a new release of it that has some of those extras and deleted scenes because Lucky says he still has every cut. So it's still a possibility we can get some more. Hmm. You hear that, Scream Factory? Get out there. Yeah. You hear that, Criterion Collection? We want May. We want it now. And if either Scream Factory or Criterion's listening, why haven't you commented? Let yeah, us thank know. thank you. And on that note. Yeah, so we have some more things coming up soon. We're not going to tell you what's coming up next week because this is had- the, this is that special season we talked about before. So this this is all surprising. We know what's coming up, but you won't. Uh, the train is coming to a stop and it's time to say goodbye here in the movie car. We hope everyone out there in podcast land was able to get a little bit of new uh, appreciation for the movie we talked about just now. Thanks to everyone who listened and downloaded. We yeah, love and all of you. M- make sure to, again, like, subscribe, comment, leave stars, hearts, wh- whatever the rating system is on wherever you listen to us. If you're on YouTube, even, we, we're, we're on there. Um, like, subscribe, comment, leave, leave some comments about us, or criticize. Just, yeah. Uh, Constructive criticism is is welcomed. Thanks to everyone listening. Thanks to you for actually doing this podcast with me because doing this podcast has it's given me a reason to go back and do something that I have had a passion for for years and just watching and learning more about movies and horror movies and just getting back into that. 
So it's kind of revived something that I've been missing for quite a while. So thank you for helping me get out of that doldrum and back into something that I actually enjoy. Well, thank you as well. Oh, you're, you're a wonderful foil for my craziness. Ugh, we're, we're still early. Y- you might you might switch that and like, okay, he's he's the crazy one of the two. Um, uh, but yeah, on on that note, um, again, like, subscribe, comment, give us hearts, stars, ratings. Thanks to our mutual friend. And uh, everybody should just, you know what, just try to be good to each other out there. We're all stuck together in this crazy train and we're all we have in here. So bye for now, folks. Thank you and good night. Good night.